Hello everybody, I write a blog called The Demon's Voice about movies and shit like that. You can find it at demonsvoice.blogspot.com and I'm also on Twitter at Demon's Voice, of which you should definitely follow me because why the fuck not? Hi you all, hope you've had a good week. Mine's been shit as usual. We're a few weeks into the corona apocalypse and we're being told to stay in our houses, in case you hadn't noticed. Under no circumstances can we leave. Not at all. Unless you need to go to work, of course. Or help the vulnerable. Go shopping for essentials or just stuff that you might like to own. DVDs, clothes, butt plugs, who am I to judge? You're allowed to move house, exercise. Basically, you're allowed out as long as you don't get close to other people or stop to talk to them. I am pretty much living the fucking dream right now. I've been going out to jog each day. I'd never really done any of that before, but it turns out I'm not bad at it, obviously. The first day I went out, I ran five miles. The second uh, day, I ran six miles. And the third day, I could barely fucking walk. We actually do a thing here in the UK in which at 8 o'clock on a Thursday night everybody goes outside the front door and the entire country does a really loud uh, round of applause as thanks to all of the healthcare workers that are saving our lives. I'm thinking of ending one of my jogs during that applause just so that I can experience what it might be like to do a marathon, but without actually having to do one. People have actually been putting pictures of rainbows in their windows recently as well with messages of thanks underneath. No idea why the gay community is suddenly getting so much support, but good for them. There's even a school near me with banners on its fence saying things like not all superheroes wear capes and then they've included a picture of a doctor, which is weird because they clearly just described Hellboy. I was talking to my dad the other day who never goes out anyway and he said that rather than forcing people to stay in we should be allowing them out again. I pointed out that this might lead to a lot of vulnerable people dying to which he retorted if they die they die. We've only been stuck in the house for a few weeks now and already my dad has turned into Ivan Drago from Rocky IV. It is shit though, and speaking of shit, I watched, I watched a film on Netflix this week called uh, Love Wedding Repeat, or as it should have been called, Thank Fuck for Tim Key, because his appearance in the cast was the only thing that stopped me from ripping my fucking throat open with the sharp lid from a tin can of fucking spam. Uh, I could have just turned the film off I suppose, but I like to be dramatic, and here is me being dramatic now by uh, telling you why I hated the movie more than I hate the fucking Nazis. The Nazis never affected me, and if history hadn't played out exactly as it did, I wouldn't be here right now. I obviously don't condone anything that the Nazis thought or did, uh, or their values in any way, but if anyone was born after 1945, we really do owe our lives to them. The same cannot be said for watching Love Wedding Repeat, uh, and I'm going to slag it off now. Enjoy! Love Wedding Repeat begins with a montage of Rome, which is great because I went on holiday there once, and I love being reminded of my trip. The film shows the cafe where my friend accidentally spent his entire holiday budget on one lunch, the hotel in which my friend intentionally exposed himself to me after he'd somehow twisted his testicles around within their sack, and the Vatican which is where me and my friend decided to visit when we wanted to see where all the paedophiles go to hide. What a beautiful city. Eventually we focus in on our hero of the film, Sam Claflin, as he struggles to tell his sister's friend Olivia Munn that he fancies her. Or at least that's what I think he was trying to do. It's kind of hard to tell because Claflin's teeth are so fucking white that I began to get a little distracted. Why are they so white? What is he trying to hide by keeping them so insanely clean? Because he's looking at Olivia Munn here like he actually wants to start biting big chunks of meat out of her fucking face. He's really starting to get quite a wrinkly forehead too for someone so young. I watched this film in ultra high def 4K which is really not the kindest option for the people on screen. I'm sure Claflin's head is no wrinklier than anybody else's, but with the picture as good as it was, he looked like Mr. Wolf from fucking Star Trek. I think Claflin might actually be going bald too. I'm not a betting man, but I'm seriously tempted to put money on him looking like a massive fucking thumb after a particularly long bath within the next five years. 
I don't mean to body shame him, but his character is so lacking in any personality, there really was fuck all else to judge him on. We then jump to a few years later into the wedding day of Claflin's sister. She too was insanely white teeth to the point that watching them both smile was like staring directly into the fucking sun. Her forehead seemed fairly normal though, which is why I began to doubt my previous suspicions over Claflin's Klingon origin. Olivia Munn has also been invited to the wedding, which means that having failed to tell her how he feels about her in Rome, Claflin now has one more chance to do it here. For some reason. Do these people not have social media? It's not the fucking 1980s anymore where the only way to meet somebody was to just walk in their general direction and hope they were doing the same to you. You can just send somebody a message and chat online until you're able to meet up again. If this film had any sense of real life, then by the time of the wedding, one would have seen so many pictures of Claflin's dick that it would have been burnt onto her eyes like the dollar signs in Scrooge McFucking Ducks. So Claflin's sister has to get through her wedding day without it being ruined, and Claflin either wants to tell Mun that he likes her or that he wants to kill Anita. Even by the end, I wasn't entirely sure which it was, although I think it's fair to say that he's likely fantasised about having a spit-roasted one way or the other. The film is a comedy too, by the way, did I mention that? The movie really wants to look like a Richard Curtis movie, but without ever understanding the charm of what gives his rom-com such personality. Love wedding repeaters like Buffalo Bill standing at the top of the well, as Richard Curtis's back catalogue is told to rub the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Perhaps the biggest issue though is in just how unfunny and forced all of the comedy set pieces feel. At one point a sort of ex of the bride turns up at the wedding off his tits on drugs and uninvited. Rather than telling him to get fucked, the bride concocts a plan to drug the unwanted wedding crasher and have him dragged away by her brother as he's unconscious while simultaneously trying to maintain to her future husband that he's actually just an old friend. I don't know why she couldn't just tell the truth about him here. The wedding is the most expensive and lavish thing that I've ever seen, but at no point it has explained how the happy couple is funding it. I can therefore only conclude that they're evil billionaires, and like all evil billionaires, will therefore have some connection to the child sex industry. In which case I'd argue that if they can have Jeffrey Epstein killed, then they can certainly get rid of this one mad junkie. The fact that the bride jumped so quickly to the idea of drugging her ex suggests to me that Claflin really might actually be a psychopath, with both him and his sister likely inheriting their twisted worldview from one of their equally damaged parents. They actually tried to cram in a sentimental moment earlier on in the film when it's revealed that their father has sadly passed away, and so isn't able to be there on the day to give away his daughter. I don't remember if Claflin or his sister revealed exactly what's happened to their father, but I suspect that he's splayed open and rotting next to the chainsaw that they fucking killed him with. There's another moment in which the bride's hilariously male maid of honour is told on the day that he's expected to do a speech having had nobody give him any warning about it beforehand. Again, this wedding looks like it costs so much money that if donated to the right charity, its budget could have funded enough research to cure cancer. Not only that, but the day seems to have been choreographed by androids who are programmed to know exactly how the day should plan out. With so much at stake, do you really think they'd have forgotten to check that their maid of honour knew that he was expected to do a speech? That's like watching the dickhead answer in English to the Nazis at the end of The Great Escape. So much planning has gone into this that I'm surprised that there wasn't a red dot on everybody's forehead as snipers on the roofs outside make sure that nobody steps out of place for fear of having their fucking brains blown out. Do you remember that the bride was planning to drug her ex to get rid of him too? Who do you think gets drugged by mistake? Because by the time it came for him to do his speech, watching that maid of honour really, really struggle to stay awake was arguably the most relatable moment of the fucking movie for me. It's pretty much at this point when we're about an hour into things that something kind of strange happens too. Just as the wedding day gets completely fucked up, a random fucking voiceover chimes in and ponders what might have happened if things had played out differently. We then see the last 30 minutes again, but if the writers had gone in a slightly different direction. Essentially, the third act of this piece of shit movie is just an alternative draft of the second act, and then it just fucking ends. What the fuck? 
From memory, I don't remember this dimensional slip having been built into the movie before it happened, about two-thirds of the way through. Imagine sliding doors if the doors had actually gotten jammed for the first 60 minutes of the movie, causing it all to play out in a conventionally linear way until, until the writers ran out of ideas and were forced to panic-smack the gimmick button. The voice of the woman providing the voiceover kind of bugged me initially too, because I couldn't quite place who it was. Then it hit me that of course it was Judy Dench. Proud of having been able to work it out, I sauntered over to IMDb to confirm my deduction, only to discover that it was actually the voice of a woman called Penny Ryder. But who is Penny Ryder, I hear you ask? Well, according to her profile, she's the personal assistant and occasional stand-in to Judy fucking Dench. I mean, what is going on here? Did Dench just decide to fuck this one off after accepting the part and to send her personal prison bitch to do it instead? Or did the production run out of money and start trying to find a cheaper way to rip off Judy Dench after it finished stitching together its Richard Curtis flesh dress? As somebody pointed out to me, if that first hour is a rip-off of a Richard Curtis film, then by repeating itself, that final 30 minutes is actually a rip-off of a Richard Curtis film rip-off. But as Love Wedding repeat replays itself, I guess you might be wondering what the point of this final half-hour's what-if scenario might be. Well, don't worry, because the film literally has a character explain its central theme that everything is down to chance and life is about grabbing those chances when they come along. Which, again, not only ignores the conveniences of social media, but I'm pretty sure is the mantra of a fucking sex offender. I think that the movie builds to what it believes is to be a happy ending, but the only truly happy ending would be if it had gone back in time the full 90 minutes, and we all could have chosen not to fucking watch it instead. Thanks for listening, motherfuckers, and see you next time.